from the Freedom HealthWorks Network. This is Healthcare Americana. Today's guest on Healthcare Americana is Dr. Ashley Ulp of Ulp Family Medicine in Carmel, Indiana. Even the most brilliant minds, when they only have 10 minutes of time to spend with you, and you're one of 40 people they're going to see today, they don't have time to think through the outside-the-box diagnoses. I know some of these docs personally, and they're brilliant people. It's going down a checklist type of a treatment. They're going down a checklist, and if it's not on their top 10, they send you on to the next guy. Mm-hmm. And that was happening to me, and I've, you know, it took me two surgeries in 10 years and lots of pain to realize i got to go outside the system and break some of the rules and do this myself. And now, here's your Healthcare Americana host, Christopher Habig. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Healthcare Americana. I'm your host, Christopher Habig. And thanks for tuning in to the podcast that tries to explain and define what healthcare really, truly means. Today's guest is a longtime friend of mine, Dr. Ashley Olp, a direct primary care physician practicing in Carmel, Indiana. Nice to have you here. Thanks for having me. No problem. I appreciate you braving all the traffic and uh, coming into the studio today. Um, your practice is about two years old in yes. downtown Carmel, Indiana, a city of, what, 200,000 people? Probably. Right on the northern suburbs of Indianapolis. Yes. And you're one of the first direct primary care physicians in that city, right? Yes, right. And from my experience, I know that you have an awesome story to tell from a physician standpoint and from being a patient yourself, which adds a little bit, in, a little bit of intrigue uh, to your story and probably helps you relate to some patients going through some, some difficult times, right? Yes. My experience as a patient navigating the traditional healthcare system was the reason I started a direct primary care practice. So you are very motivated and you see some yes. of the pitfalls and some of the some of the issues with what we call a traditional healthcare system. So third party based, uh, insurance dominated. Um, so what I wanted to do was talk a little bit about your patient story. And thankfully, you were a very good physician when these things happened. And it's okay. You don't have to laugh about that. And... Uh. When these when when these uh, when these things happen to you, you were able to say, "Okay, wait a minute. I know what to do in this situation." But you've quickly learned that not everybody has that luxury. So, if you would right. just kind of explain what you went through, what you saw, and then um, how being a physician helped you through this when not everybody has that ability. Okay, so I can kind of start from the beginning. Um, and I will say, if I was not a physician, I could have been in really serious trouble. So I'm always thankful that I was. But I, long story short, I have a diagnosis called external iliac artery endofibrosis, which is not common, um, but it is an injury that's well-documented and it's exclusive to endurance athletes. And I run marathons, so um, I you know, was definitely a candidate for this type of injury. But it started back in 2001 when I started having pain with running. Mm-hmm. And I started seeing doctors back then. I was in residency and I was young. I was 29 years old and um, saw between 2001 and 2007, probably about six or seven different doctors. And my experience every time was calling an office. You almost always talk to a machine or a front office staff. And um, usually the, re- the response is, we can't see you for six weeks, mm-hmm. which was fine. I was in residency and busy anyway. And so I would wait six weeks and get in to see somebody, whether it was a primary care doctor or a specialist, I would get 10 minutes of their time. 
almost always they didn't know what it was. In fact, every time they didn't know what it was and they would send me on to another specialist or they would send me to a physical therapist or some other type of, of provider. And there was usually a provisional diagnosis given to me that I sort of in my heart knew was probably wrong. Um, but at that time, I was 29, didn't have the confidence to look another doctor in the eye and say, I think you're wrong. <laughs> I um, want a second opinion. <laughs> Wait yes, a you just, yeah, you just didn't have the confidence to do that. And um, so I just followed their instructions, like I think most patients do. And I even had a medical education, but you still just sort of go with the flow in this very fast-paced medical system, and every doctor's so hurried, and I knew that because I was one. They're always in a hurry, so you don't want to be that patient that holds them up. And um, So I just went along, and each time I would tell the specialists, I'm pretty sure I have a vascular problem. It feels just like claudication should feel. It only bothers me when I exercise. It gets worse the harder I exercise. As soon as I back off, it backs off. And to me, it correlated directly with blood flow. But nobody wanted to entertain that because I was a healthy 29-year-old runner. And so that idea got poo-pooed over and over again. And then I ended up seeing a neurosurgeon who decided I needed to have a nerve release. He thought maybe this was a pinched nerve. So I had a nerve release procedure, which did not work. And when I called him back and told him it did not work, he said, well, I'm going to have to send you on to somebody else because I don't know what this is. So um, I. So how many doctors had you seen at this point? At in this time, point, uh, probably seven or eight. Wow, seven or eight. So then I kept running. I was still running. It just hurt like crazy. Um, but you know, sometimes too, for patients when they keep functioning, if they can go to work and if they can take care of their families, they just kind of blow things off. And I know that happens. And I get that you get busy and you think, well, I'll go next time. I'll go next time. Or you just get stonewalled so many times when you try to navigate the medical system, you just say, forget it. Just give up. You just give up. So I kind of did that. Between 2007 and 2012, I kept running, and it hurt like hell. (laughs) But I kept doing it, and I got married in that time, and um, we moved and bought a home, and all you know, lots of other life stuff was happening. But then in 2012, um, I was running the Kentucky Derby Marathon, and suddenly... It got so much worse, Uh, and I didn't think it could get a whole lot worse. It hurt a lot, but it got so bad I could hardly walk, and I crossed the finish line, but I was bawling. (laughs) Oh, wow. So you finished the marathon, which is not an easy feat. No, but I walked. excruciating pain. It hurt horribly, and um, at that point, it did not stop hurting when I'd finished running. Previously, it would hurt just with exercise, but at that point, the walk back to the hotel was just awful. And I told my husband, I'm really in trouble. And now I have to take matters into my own hands now. And I started doing some research, and I found a pain management slash neurosurgeon out at Johns Hopkins. And he was connected to all kinds of research. And I thought, I'm going to go there because he's connected to this big academic center where surely if he doesn't know what's wrong, he'll guide me the right way. And I went out there. He was convinced also it was a pinched nerve. And I must have questioned him for 30 minutes about what about – a blood vessel. I'm pretty sure it's a blood vessel. It doesn't feel like nerve pain. And my answer was continually, no, 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 no. I know what I'm doing. You need that nerve taken out of your leg. Wow. So now I'm 39. So this was 2012. So now I'm 39. Was, um, was, was that diagnosis, obviously not the first time you've heard that, but removing a nerve out of your leg. I mean, that sounds pretty serious. Was that the first time you've heard that one? Yes, it was. And I did run it past one of the docs I'd seen here in Indy yeah. to say, does this kind of thing happen? And he said, yeah, sometimes spinal cord injury patients and, you know, crush injuries and things like that. Sometimes they like, do that. I haven't been in a car accident. Mm-mm, no, I just was a 
runner and doctor who, you know, yeah. I'm in shape and I run. Why am I? Right. Everything else in my body felt fine. Right. Wow. (laughs) So, but I will also say this from a patient perspective, I was so desperate by then because I could hardly go from my bed to the bathroom in the morning. I I could do it. It just hurt all the time now. Mm -hmm. So I had to do something and here you are in pain all the time. And this doctor saying, it's a pinched nerve. I can fix you. And you just say, okay, fix me. Now this is the second doctor that said pinched nerve and not blood vessel. Right. Um, I was a little more confident by this time. Yeah, I was 10 years older. I'd been practicing now for 10 years and I did grill him a lot. Um, but in the end, I still went with the big wig advice, which was you need surgery. Had surgery. Still remember the date, June 1st, 2012. Drove home. My husband drove me home and I wasn't really allowed to move that leg for a week. And I still remember the first time I walked up a flight of stairs and all that pain was still there. And I just burst into tears. And by then I was angry. (laughs) Now I I wasn't feeling desperate and I wasn't feeling confused. I was just mad. And I looked right at my husband and I said, I'm taking matters into my own hands because no one's listening to me and I can't. You know, my confidence was better at this point. (laughs) I think my bar had Mm -hmm. been reached and I went to a local radiology center and just said, I want an MRA. I think I've got a blood vessel problem in my leg. Had the MRA and the radiologist called me that night and said, you need to be in the ER. You're probably going to lose your leg, which I knew was not true because I'd been running and walking and, you know, but I'm living had, with it for 10 years. You've had a nerve yes. out at this point in time. Right. And I had two surgeries takes, and it takes you walking into, cause you've been a primary care physician for 10 years now. At that point, um, 10 years. Yeah. And it takes you walking into, I just called up and said, I need an MRA. This is Dr. Ashley Ope. I'm going to order it myself. Wow. Hopefully my insurance will cover it. But if not, I'm ready to pay because I can't hardly walk. What What would have happened? And this is kind of interrupting the story here. I'm going to get back to that. What would have happened if you weren't able to order that on your own? Well, so, so first of all, I'm lucky I healed from the surgery because the MRA showed that I had about 10% blood flow in that leg. So I was lucky. <laughs> But that was one possibility. I just, I think I got, I think my running simultaneously contributed to the injury, but probably also allowed me to heal from traumas like surgery on that leg Mm -hmm. because I was able to sort of grow collateral blood flow around the blockage that ultimately we found. But in the end, who knows how long somebody that wasn't able to order their own test would have had to go to finally find a doctor who would have listened. Here I was a doctor and I had education and I was giving them the answer. I'm pretty sure I have a blood vessel issue I even went to sports medicine doctors that work with athletes, excellent sports medicine doctors that work with athletes that never entertained the idea that maybe I had a blood flow problem, which is astounding to me. (laughs) But I I love those sports med guys. I still use them and I still go to them. So I guess part of my point is even the most brilliant minds, when they only have 10 minutes of time to spend with you and you're one of 40 people they're going to see today, they don't have time to think through the outside the box diagnoses. Because I know some of these docs personally and they're brilliant people. It's going down a checklist type of a treatment. They're going down a checklist. And if it's not on their top 10, they send you on to the next guy. Mm-hmm. And that was happening to me. And I've, you know, it took me two surgeries in 10 years and lots of pain to realize I got to go outside the system and break some of the rules and do this myself. Yeah. So I ended up finding my own diagnosis with one test, which turned out to be a complete shutdown of my iliac artery, which is the main conduit of blood flow to your lower extremities. So I got myself to a surgeon. I chose my own surgeon. Um, he so, had heard of the injury. Okay, so in this, and this is post-MRA. Yes. And so then you say, okay, great. I need to take some action here. Yeah. And then you contacted a surgeon by yourself. I did. In fact, the night that I found out I had this awful MRA, my husband and I went out and celebrated cocktails. 
which sounds really weird. <laughs> but we were so happy to know finally after 10 years what was wrong with me uh-huh. and that there actually was a solution. And it's not a great solution. I have a bypass graft now um, that I've had some trouble with, but there was a way to get rid of the pain so that I could live my life. You should celebrate <laughs> so that. Yeah. After we Hope's did. Dash we so were at a times. restaurant celebrating right. and I thought this is probably crazy that I'm celebrating this problem, except after 10 years and two surgeries, finally I was going to get the right surgery. Well, you hear all people say all the time, it's the little things in life we're celebrating. <laughs> this is a pretty major. This is know. a big thing. <laughs> right. It sounds counterintuitive, but actually it felt good to finally know. And I think a lot of patients feel that way when they've, when they've felt badly for so long and then they can finally name the enemy or name the process. Mm-hmm. Then it just gives you more objectivity and it gives you a pathway to follow on how to get better. Yeah. If it's just floating out there in this gray zone, you don't know what it is. You don't have any recourse. Yeah. So this gave, this gave me recourse. You weren't helpless anymore. I wasn't helpless, right. And I could get to a surgeon who, he had never, I was actually his first athlete and his first iliac artery endofibrosis patient. So that made me a little nervous. <laughs> but ironically, he trained in medical school with an expert on the East Coast, another East Coast doctor, but a vascular guy this time, who understands this injury and works on a lot of athletes in this country, specifically for this injury. So he was able to confer with him. So finally, the communication train got going. And so this East Coast doctor was able to advise my Indianapolis doctor, here's the way I would do the procedure. And I had it done, and I ran for the first time pain-free at the end of 2012. We had a running party at my house to celebrate it. Wow. <laughs> wow. Which was really fun. I cried that night, too, but different times, different kinds of crying. Um, so that, I mean, that, you know, that's part of the story. Since then, and part of the, the event that prompted me to start my practice was the graft clotted off once after a pregnancy, and then it clotted off spontaneously in 2016. And by now I had a new vascular surgeon. And the actual event that made me start this practice was I woke up one day, had the same pain that I knew intimately in that leg. Mm-hmm. And I called the vascular surgeon's office at 8 a.m., talked to a machine, went to my office, pretty significant pain, called again at 10 a.m., talked to a machine. Finally, I called at noon and basically said, I need a CTA. I need it today. I'm going to need surgery today. I need someone to call me back. If you can't call me back, I'll go ahead and order the test myself. And they called me back and said, well, the surgeon's too busy today, but he can see you in a week. And, my, and that was doing me a favor. You know, they wait wow. usually four weeks, but we'll see you next week. And I just said, I'm going to lose my leg if I wait a week. Yeah. I get the CTA today, and that's that. <laughs> and I just said, I'm happy to order it myself if you don't have time, but I need this test today. And I had the test within hours, and I was in the hospital that night and had surgery within like 15 hours. Wow. But I had to beg for it. I had to call and beg and call and beg. And then I basically had to threaten and say, I will do this myself if you won't do it for me. But I'm telling you, I'm going to need an OR. <laughs> Preferably inside the kitchen table or yeah, where, right. Where else. This is going to happen. I either it has to do to it or I was take gonna, it on yourself. Yes. I mean, the, re- the ultimate result was that I would could have, you know, that once you clot a graft off, that clot is either going to completely deprive your leg of blood flow. Mm-hmm. Or it's going to break up into little pieces and you have what's called a shower that goes down your leg. And now you've got lots of little clots all over your leg. So, so I knew that and the surgeon knew that, but I couldn't get to the surgeon. Mm-hmm. I could barely get through the phones. And then I had five days to convalesce in the hospital and think about the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I left the hospital and I told my husband I'm quitting my job <laughs> and starting wow. my own practice. Wow. And he just about died because we had just spent literally $100,000 on surgery. <laughs> so so um, that was sort of the beginning of 
the idea. So you're, you spent five days in a hospital bed contemplating, what am I going to do with the rest of my medical profession? <laughs> right. And you found out about this crazy idea called direct primary care. And this obviously sounded appealing to you. Right. So talk a little bit more about that journey. What were your, what were your longtime patients saying to you? I mean, what kind of questions were they asking? And then how did you relate your experiences in their shoes which is very unique to you and, you know, a, a very interesting experience that you had being in a patient's shoes uh, and seeing things from their side. So how did that affect your decision and your decision in your, your um, oh, your motivation to move forward? Okay, so I can, I can talk about that in depth. When you're sitting in the hospital for five days with nothing else to do but think, you start to reflect on lots of things <laughs> that went right or wrong. Um, but what struck me was the whole process starting way back in 2001, all the way through 2016, when the face of medicine has changed a lot since then, the same problems kept occurring, which were access to the doctor. You cannot talk to your doctor when you call an office. And my previous practice, which was a traditional medical practice, um, patients never got to talk to me. And I never picked up the phone to call them. I had no time to do it. Mm -hmm. I was already there till 7 o'clock every night. I would have been there four more hours. You never got enough time with the doctor. So when you finally did get in, definitely a wait of two to three weeks, if not four to six, depending on how busy the specialist was, I would get in front of that person for 10 minutes. And first of all, nobody can solve a complicated medical problem in 10 minutes. Each mm -hmm. human body is its own machine. So you just can't do that. If you really need to think beyond any basic problem, 10 minutes is not enough time. Uh, and I'm convinced, I mean, I know some of the doctors I saw along the way were brilliant people. And had they had time to really sit down and talk to me and learn what I did, what my hobby was, do a little bit of research, talk to a colleague, I think I would have been diagnosed long before 10 years went by and two erroneous surgeries. So access to the doctor, time with the doctor. And then another thing I ran into a lot, but I think this is kind of a, just a universal problem, was medical billing because nobody understands how it works. Mm -hmm. So after I thought about access and time as I'm you know, leaving the hospital, I thought, you know, the other problem we run into at my traditional practice is people always have questions about billing. They're encouraged to come in and ask their doctor everything they need to know. But what they don't understand is you can only really ask two questions. And if you ask a third one, your price just went up by 50 bucks. Yep. And if you ask a fourth one, it just went up again. Or you get told, you're going to have to come back. I don't have time. It's, but they can't come back for 10 more days. Yeah, it's that myth of a free, with in quotes, free preventive visit. Right. Where you can't actually say anything. You just, right. as a patient, you just have to keep your mouth shut. Or else you're going to get this surprise bill. That's right. That was happening all the time at our old practice. Um, and it happened to me, too. Like, when I left the hospital for those five days, I expected a big bill. But I had no idea that every time I took Tylenol, I was being charged $45. For a Tylenol. For Tylenol. There yeah. you go. So, and, you know, they charge you for the bedside commode that I probably used once. You just don't understand that everything you do, you're being, every single thing you do, you're being charged for. And you're being charged, it's being marked up 20,000% sometimes, wow. you know. So you just don't know that. And then the personnel don't know that. The nurse doesn't know that every time she hands me Tylenol, I'm, she's spending 45 of my dollars. She's thinking, I have a patient in pain. I'm going to give her this medicine. She's following orders. Yeah, and you can't, I mean, you, can't ask, you can't call up the hospital and say, I need to talk to a nurse. I need to find out how much Tylenol is from your facility and price shop it that way. That's right. There's, Which, there's no price transparency at all. 
And it's the only industry like that. I mean, if mm-hmm. you walk into your, first of all, you can call your hairdresser and talk to the hairdresser. <laughs> so I can talk to the guy that's going to cut my hair, but not the guy that's going to cut my leg. <laughs> There's a disconnect there, It doesn't right? make any sense. And he will tell you, here's how much I charge for a cut. Here's how much I charge for a color. You know, and then you get to decide before you use his services right. how much you want to spend. But if you go to a doctor's office, you don't get to make that decision. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a major problem, too. So access to the doctor, time with the doctor, and and confusing medical billing were three huge problems that I had identified all along the way. And so when I was doing my research on what I wanted to do next, I found direct primary care, which really instantly solves all three of those problems. Mm-hmm. So that's why I chose that particular mm-hmm. model. That's it, It's absolutely fascinating. And, and, and you're exactly right. I mean, those are three big things that people talk about in frustration with healthcare using it. And those are all barriers too for people coming in. Now, within old family medicine, it is you, you have one employee. Right. And you guys, you, you, you've been together for, for a while now. Right. And which is by itself unheard of to have one support person per one physician. That's a very lean model. And that doesn't happen. You know, let's, let's keep counting down the ways of, the things that just don't normally happen in healthcare settings. Right. Uh, you have one person supporting one physician. Right. It's you very said, intimate. Oh, yeah. You you answer the phone. You call people back, mm-hmm. which I'm sure from a patient experience and customer experience is on a different level than anybody has ever seen in the past 30 years of healthcare consumers. It's fantastic. I actually love it because I can get so much more involved in my patient's issues. So previously, I would be looking at labs that had multiple abnormalities, and I'd have two-word responses. You know, I'd have an arrow towards the abnormal number and just write, abnormal patient needs follow-up. Abnormal patient needs follow-up. I couldn't write a big, long note, and I wasn't the one calling them back. Mm -hmm. My assistant was calling them back. So now I have the opportunity to call myself or send a long email with lots of explanations. I can refer them to resources. And very often I'll say, I'd like to schedule some time with you on the phone, Mm -hmm. usually 30 minutes to go over every one of these numbers and answer your questions. Mm -hmm. So I can get more involved and then the patient's more informed. And that almost always happens within 24 to 48 hours. They're not waiting three weeks to talk to you about their labs. What kind of response does that get from your patients? Somebody who just joined your practice, who's not used to that type of a service, and you call them up the first time, what's their reaction? Uh, well, everyone's been really nice to me. Hopefully they're <laughs> telling me the truth, but I get all the feedback I get is positive. <laughs> um, but I'm hoping they're telling me the truth and not just being really nice to me. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest thing I get is um, they're appreciative. They're really appreciative that they can actually talk directly to the doctor. And not that I'm going to know all the answers, but they get the opportunity to ask all the questions. And then I also have the time then to either find the answers or get them to somebody who can get the answers. And a big part of what I wanted to do also is help them navigate the system because that's what I had so much trouble with. Even being a doctor, it was hard to get to the right person and get in front of them because I still had to go through the typical channels. Mm-hmm. Um, so oftentimes I will call specialists for patients and say, here's what's going on with her and I'd really like for you to see her in the next couple of days. And that works. So you're almost like a like a medical interpreter yes. for your patients yes, and a lot. Or liaison or whatever you want to call it. But I mean that that seems like such a powerful force. If I'm sitting here and I and I got diagnosed with something terrible and I'm alone, I'm scared, I don't know what questions to ask. Right. Somebody calls up, you know, Dr. Olp and says, 
can you help me through this? And the answer is... Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> I can give you a great example of something that happened recently. And this was really special to me. I think about it actually every day. Um, so I have a patient that I've known for years. And I don't remember exactly what year I met her, but I want to say probably 2012-ish. Um, and she was recently diagnosed by me with cancer. It's metastatic. Um, and so the, the first part of this story is she hadn't been feeling very well for a couple of weeks, and we were able to get her into my office that day and then arrange for a CAT scan the next day. And then I called her the day after that with the results. So she was able to get in, get a test, and get results directly from me within 48 hours. Um, but she needed to see an oncologist. So I called the oncologist directly, and he knew who I was because I'd sent several patients to him. And I asked him to see her right away, which he did. And then I went with her to the appointment. And she was terrified. She doesn't have, you know, she, she's never had a situation like this come up before. So she was very scared. And I went with her to the appointment. Um, and when you're dealing with something like cancer, you always need an extra set of ears. Even I did that when I had this crazy surgery. I brought my husband with me and said, you got to take notes because I don't want that bypass graft in my body. And so I'm going to only listen to part of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I took notes for her, which I wrote down, and then I typed them up in an email, and I sent them to her in an email. And then I asked her to print it out so she can hand it to family members because they're going to ask her questions, and she can just refer back to that email. Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) And then she and I email back and forth almost every day because then you think of questions later. You go to the appointment, and then later it dawns on you, what about this or what about that? So she can call me directly, whereas with my old practice, that would never have happened. I mean, I would have given her the results of the CT scan, and I wouldn't have actually probably seen her again. Wow. She'd have been the hands of specialists, and I wouldn't even have seen her. That, that sounds like a very fulfilling career choice for you. It was fulfilling for me, and I mm-hmm. hope it was comforting for her. Absolutely. So hopefully she'll now have, um, you know, she has an advocate in me mm-hmm. so that when she doesn't know what the next step is, I can help guide her through that. That's amazing. It was awesome. <laughs> that is absolutely amazing. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, parting thoughts? You got any races coming up? Um, that's a maybe. Maybe. That's okay. a maybe. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll have to we'll have to do some type of announcement for that and <laughs> go out to the races and cheer Dr. Rolf on here. So, Dr. Rolf, I want to thank you so much again for for coming on to Healthcare Americana here. If anybody out there listening uh, wants some more information, what's the best way to reach you? The best way to reach me probably is on the website, which is olpfamilymedicine.com. So O-L-P and the medicine.com. There you go. And Dr. Ashley Olp with Olp Family Medicine located in Carmel, Indiana. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us here. And that's going to do it for today's episode. Reminder to subscribe. More subscribers mean we keep on doing this thing and keep spreading the word about direct primary care. I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for tuning in to Healthcare Americana. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Healthcare Americana. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podchaser, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And tell your friends and colleagues to download and listen to all Healthcare Americana shows at freedomhealthworks.com.